0: IEEE SA Voice shares insights and perspectives from the IEEE SA community, subject matter experts and industry leaders that are working to raise the world standards, drive market solutions and much more, keeping you at the forefront of technological innovation
1: for the benefit of humanity. Hello, everyone. And welcome to the IEEE-SA Rethink Health podcast series. I'm your host, Maria Palombini, Director of the IEEE-SA Healthcare and Life Sciences Global Practice. This podcast takes industry stakeholders, technologists, researchers, clinicians, regulators, and more from around the globe to task. How can we rethink the approach to healthcare with the responsible use of new technologies and applications that can afford more security, protection, and sustainable, equitable access to quality care for all individuals? We are in season four of the podcast series. You can check out our previous seasons on ieeesaio backslash health podcast. As we all know, the result of the recent pandemic, the term telehealth has become one of the most frequently used ones, and it does not appear to be going away soon. The reality is that the way we see telehealth today will look very different tomorrow. It's manifesting in many different forms. It's more than what we commonly see as a doctor-patient exchange on an audio-video platform. It continues to grow, especially with RPM devices, remote patient monitoring devices. The telehealth experience has changed the patient's expectations on healthcare services. They're relating it more to a concierge-level online retail experience, convenient, appropriate, and personalized. And then there's this growing RPM space. There are so many different forecasts when it comes to RPM, anywhere from U.S. $150 billion by 2028 to estimates that 40% of patients will utilize one or more of these types of devices at one given time. But here's one thing for certain, regardless if we're talking telehealth, mobilized health RPMs, the future of delivering healthcare is not confined to a facility and it will need to be patient-centered. So season four of this podcast series, Telehealth's Quantum Leap into Patient-Centered Care, talks to the innovators. These are the winners of the IEEE SA Telehealth Virtual Pitch Competition the industry leaders, clinicians, and other researchers who are at the forefront of driving innovations with solutions on accessibility, human factor design, flexibility, interoperability, security, inclusivity, and any other necessary ingredient to migrate telehealthcare to a patient-centered care system. So a short disclaimer before we begin, IEEE does not endorse or financially support any of the products or services discussed by our guests in this series. It is my pleasure to welcome Sana Gaspar, CEO of Rupertection inventor of the Rubitech assessment system to our conversation. Hi, Sana. Welcome to our podcast. Thank you for the opportunity. Looking forward to talking to you today. I'm excited to have Sana here with us. Rubitechian garnered the first place position in the entity category of the IEEE SA Rethink the RPM Machine Competition. So, Sana, before we get to the core of your innovation, tell us a little bit about you. You're CEO. You're an inventor of this solution. What drives your passion in your work? How did you get here?
0: What really drives my passion in my work is being able to innovate to improve healthcare. I have a PhD in biomedical engineering with a specialization in medical device development and commercialization. I came to that after thinking about being a pre-med to become a doctor and realizing that wasn't the best career for my personality and what I wanted to do. I decided I really wanted to still have an impact in healthcare but maybe on developing the technology that doctors use. And so now I'm just passionate about getting the technology out
1: there to help caregivers and patients. I think it's fascinating because I've interviewed physicians who are migrating over to IT and technology design because they felt like, well, this is really what I wanted to do. So we often hear that starting a company in this space derives from some sort of personal experience. Somehow they may have been afflicted, a family member or something they came across doing university research. Is there a personal story behind bringing this innovative RPM approach to wound care? What was the vision and impact you imagined that it could have for patients?
0: So the personal story was really driven more by my desire to want to improve healthcare as a career than personal experience with the condition. I came across the condition while I was in grad school. At the time, I was looking for a project where I could develop technology to improve care but I really wanted to focus on something that was a healthcare problem that was very common, but being overlooked. And so when I learned about bed and I went and researched it, I found that it was killing like 60,000 people every year, affecting 2 million people per year. Um, But the assessment approach was really still something that was manual, where technology could be used to improve that assessment to save lives. And so that was really what drove me to do that, was I wanted to make sure that I spent the time of my PhD doing something that I could
1: translate out to improve care and really address a real healthcare problem. Absolutely. So it's interesting. We often hear you need thicker skin to survive in this world. And in this case, you just mentioned 60,000 people die from complications due to bed sores every year. People think, oh, it's just a little condition, but it does take people's lives. That's one person every nine minutes. So it's pretty significant. And over 55% of nursing home residents die from bed sores within six weeks of onset of the wound. We all may have elderly relatives living in nursing homes. This is something we all have to consider. So let's get to the core of the interview of how this RPM innovation can start to really have an impact. Can you share the types of research, maybe some modeling and the years that worked that went into developing this product? What would you say in your research was the most interesting piece of information that came through in this R&D phase? The most interesting piece of information,
0: I would say, was twofold. One, how long the problem was outstanding. There's comments back to Florence Nightingale and and I think even Mm -hmm. possibly some references in Egyptian literature to these wounds and bed swords. but there was no real solution at the time. And that was partly being driven by legislation and policy, partly because a lot of the costs for those wounds was being covered by the insurance companies and Medicare. But as they were providing primary care and the patient develops a wound, they would still get additional payments for that care. So for me, that was a striking thing that was driving a lot of the lack of innovation in this space. There was a long standing need. The other thing that really caught my attention was the importance of correlating the technological platform to the clinical environment and how important that would be. So when I first learned about the issue, I went and researched all the different technological approaches you could use, like ultrasound, spectroscopy, temperature, and try to match that against the user needs in that environment to see what would be the most appropriate. And I found that really was an interesting exercise in terms of like someone who's interested in developing tech. You can't just go and say, oh, well, I think this is the tech I want to use or the technological platform I want to use. To solve this problem, you really have to cross-check it around what the users need and how it would integrate into that environment around usability and ease of use. That was a lot of the early work I did that drove the direction of the technology in terms of development.
1: There are many different skin conditions from eczema to bed sores to wound care. How does the RAS system work to identify the abnormality? And at the same time, how can it indicate what exactly is the abnormality? Like it's a diabetic ulcer, it's a bed sore, it's a wound, whatever it may be.
0: So Rubitec Assessment System, abbreviated RAS, is essentially a device that helps to assess the skin to identify chronic inflammation or conditions in the dermatology space or in the wound care and surgical space. So in the dermatology space, it could be used for things like rosacea, eczema, eventually maybe things like skin cancer for early screening. And in the wound care space, we're looking at diabetic foot ulcers, pressure injuries, and surgical wound monitoring. And it essentially includes a software system that you can monitor data on and a device that you place onto the skin to make measurements of the skin to identify areas of inflammation. So you place a device on the skin, it makes a measurement predominantly using optics and then you get an assessment following that measurement about low, medium or high risk or it gives you a diagnosis that you can then share with your primary care physician to get an updated care plan or to understand the next steps in the care plan. Our real goal with that system is to really support effective early assessment to prevent the progression of advanced wounds or to help patients in the dermatological space either do early assessment to evaluate treatment effectiveness based on the prescriptive treatment that their doctors provided so that they can support care compliance in using the system or get a new prescription if that product is not working. On the wound care side, it's catching it early to prevent advanced wounds that can be deadly.
1: Very interesting. So we're trying to get ahead of the game here.
0: We're trying to get ahead of the game and empower people.
1: Are you a tech startup wondering how likely telehealth is to keep its momentum in the next five to 10 years? McKinsey forecasts roughly 25% of the total cost of care for U.S. Medicare patients will shift to the home by 2025 and the remote patient monitoring market is expected to surpass $1.25 billion by 2030, according to MarketWatch. Despite how favorable the growth trends are, it's not easy to be a telehealth tech startup today. The IEEE SA telehealth startup community is designed for technologists, entrepreneurs who have a proof of concept, prototype, or maybe an early commercialization of a technology product in a telehealth domain. The community offers tech and industry mentorship, partnership development opportunities, and the invitation to be part of a think tank to help drive trust and adoption of these technologies. Plus, you can earn credits to present demos and participate in virtual and face-to-face events hosted by IEEE's healthcare and life science practice. If you want to join us and make this impact on the future of telehealth, you can join for free at IEEESA telehealth One of the key features that you presented in the competition is that the data collected is interoperable with medical health records, which for patients, that's a great opportunity. How have you seen physicians and caregivers use the data collected about the patient to sort of alter their care to make it better? And how does the data collected actually integrate into the patient's medical chart? So
0: right now we're still in R&D, so we haven't fully launched the product. But when we launch it, we do plan on having an EHR integration. From a remote patient care standpoint, the measurements they do at home to provide a risk assessment or to do care planning and management would be sent back to their primary care physician where they would confirm the data, confirm the care plan, and then also be able to save that in the EHR. When using an acute care setting, it would just be an inherent part of the EHR. As they're using the system, the data is then also stored in the EHR for later data analysis or reporting and documentation.
1: We mentioned nursing facilities and long assisted living facilities. So One of the population sets that this may benefit is naturally the aging population. However, when we think about the aging population, they're not usually considered the most digitally and or trusting of these types of technologies. What has been your experience or in research being able to reach this age demographic to utilize the RAS system, to trust it, to want to use it? What are some of the lessons that you might have learned through this engagement? I would say some of the lessons I've learned through this
0: engagement oftentimes is that you have to go through a family member or you have to go through their adult child. Oftentimes their adult child is the person providing care or the nurse is the person providing care. So the main part to targeting this population is going through their care provider or their primary care provider, the person who's managing that care. And then basically working with that person to either explain the importance of the problem or how the technology can really help support them in managing that care. But oftentimes getting access directly to those potentially elderly patients can be difficult because you really can't necessarily go to them directly. You have to go find their care provider.
1: Trying to turn caregivers into the advocates for the use of this technology in order to help this area of the population.
0: Yes, exactly. And finding those caregivers in either advocate groups or finding those consumer targets in a home setting can be difficult. You'd have to go through the primary physician or the primary care provider, basically go that way.
1: When we think of the pool of patients, it's more than just the aging because we're talking a wide swath of wound care issues, other issues, diabetics. How do you see your technology being patient-centered. And when we talk about patient-centered, it could be a point of accessibility, inclusivity, feasibility, adaptability. Is there a population of patients that you can better serve with this technology that perhaps could not be reached or accessed or included before when it comes to RPM opportunities?
0: We're working on a skin health assessment tool that has applications in dermatology in wound care and surgery in all of those fields for patients who have chronic dermatological conditions like psoriasis or eczema and even skin cancer oftentimes they would have to come into the office to get an assessment or they were sending pictures or using really crude technology to try to document their condition to eventually share that with the doctor when they went into the office also true for patients with wounds so that when the patient goes home, their family member and caregivers are told, here's a care plan to help prevent this person from getting a wound. But then they only see the doctor once the wound develops. So that makes prevention and early detection really difficult. So really in each of those market segments, we are providing and access to a level of care that wasn't available before, unless you went into the doctor's office. So now you can have in-home monitoring to monitor changes on the skin, to catch things early, share that with your physician, get an updated care plan, then catch things at an earlier stage when they're least costly and the easiest to treat.
1: That's a fascinating point because as a caregiver, you call a doctor and how do you articulate something is not going right in a medical way? So I think this is a fascinating area because that is one of the caregiver's biggest concerns. Can I take care of this at home? Am I capable of doing this? How about if something goes wrong? You get all these questions, right? Exactly. And
0: then in talking to caregivers in the home setting, another thing that comes up is like, as you're responsible for that care for your loved one, your parent, your grandmother, maybe even a disabled child or someone with a chronic health condition, you're trying to do your best to manage the care and manage your life. And when they get something that's preventable, like a bed sore that can be really severe, there's a lot of guilt and shame associated with that oftentimes Mm -hmm. because they feel responsible. And we really want to just help empower caregivers to understand that without technology, it is really hard to do that early detection and then to empower them to feel like they have the tools to prevent some of the chronic complications of a bed sore so that they can feel confident in the care that they're providing
1: and managing that care. Absolutely. That's a great benefit for caregivers out there, for sure. As a tech startup, would you think of any technical standards, policies, opportunities, or something in place that would have made the development of this product go faster, easier? And after going through this process, what areas have you identified would open the doors to innovation in the telehealth space? And in your opinion, what would maybe be the best way to address it?
0: One is funding, because you need funding to be able to develop the technology. And I think having technical organizations that can support technical founders and getting access to funding or providing funding as investors or grants would be already a great start. Mm Then I think also from a medical standpoint, technical standards around EHR integration would also be really helpful in meeting that HIPAA requirement. Because There's so many ways it's usually customizable to each person's technology, but having really clear standards about how you have that healthcare integration With each EMR systems would go a long way because all of the EMRs are slightly different, how you communicate with them in their platforms. And so it makes tech development with EHR integration very cumbersome and expensive.
1: So it's almost like a tech entrepreneur mentorship sort of way of helping tech engineers, one, being able to understand how to source and get funding as needed as they're developing the product. But also understanding what tech guidelines are out there that maybe no one knows about because we tend to always uncover these things and even say, okay, they're not existent, but maybe this is something else you can use. So I agree. I think there could be some definitely guidance from people in that role before and probably can point you in a faster, easier way to get to the answers you're looking for. Yeah, I would agree with that. You've given us some really interesting insights, especially when it comes to this whole area of therapeutic on the health side and the opportunity of supporting the caregiver, which we don't see too often in a lot of RPM devices. What is something that you would like to share with our audience? It is a diverse group. We have technologists, we have people in the clinical field, we have researchers, regulators, policy people, whoever's listening to this podcast. What would you like to share with them when it comes to really understanding developing technologies under the context of patient-centered care?
0: I think the most important thing is that it takes everybody. Technology can't be created in a vacuum. As someone developing technology, I need access to the healthcare providers. I need access to the caregivers and patients to understand what their needs are. In terms of the clinical providers, I need access to them to understand clinical integration and use case and how to ensure that the device meets usability requirements and also clinical integration requirements, policymakers usually end up driving things around pricing and large market drivers that affect adoption around reimbursement or medical policies for use or requirements for use and reporting that really end up driving clinical adoption. And also things around regulatory like the FDA. So it really takes everybody and there should be really more groups where that brings together a diverse group of stakeholders that technologists can access in one place. So like right now, if I want to talk to a doctor, I have to go and find a doctor. Then I have to go and find the patient in a different location. And I have to go find the stakeholder from a policy standpoint in a different location. There's not one place that you can go and get a holistic view of the problem to get the perspectives of each major stakeholder in one setting.
1: I can see that. But that's also symptomatic, unfortunately, of the healthcare system, right? It doesn't have to be
0: fragmented. I mean, people have historical data of their images of their personal life, and we can't manage to get longitudinal data of our own health.
1: That's a very good point. Sana. thank you so much for joining me today and sharing all these exciting insights. Thank you as well for the opportunity.
0: I enjoyed talking to you. And if anybody wants to reach out, they can reach out to me at info at
1: Absolutely. If you guys want to learn more about the rubitection assessment system and about rubitection in general, you can visit rubitection, R-U-B-I-T-E-C-T-I-O-N.com. And you can learn all about Sana as well and her advisory team and all the other information that's on there. Many of the concepts we talked about with Sana today are addressed in various activities throughout the IEEE SA Healthcare Life Science practice. The mission of our practice is engaging multidisciplinary stakeholders and having them openly collaborate, build consensus, and develop solutions in an open, standardized means to support innovation that will enable privacy, security, and equitable, sustainable access to quality care for all. And these are activities such as Whammy Wearables and Medical IoT Interoperability Intelligence Incubator Program, and Transforming the Telehealth Paradigm Industry Connections Program. And there's a whole host of others in decentralized clinical trials, AI, digital therapeutics for mental health care. So if you're interested in learning how you can get involved or think about instantiating an activity, you can visit our practice website at ieesa.io backslash HLS. If you enjoyed this podcast, we ask you to share it with your peers, colleagues on your networks. This is the only way we can get these important discussions out into the domain is by you helping us to get the word out. Be sure to use hashtag IEEEHLS or tag us on Twitter at IEEESA or on LinkedIn, IEEE Standards Association. I want to do a special thank you to you, the audience, for listening in. Continue to stay safe and well. Until next time. On behalf of
0: IEEE Standards Association and IEEE SA Voice, thank you for joining us today. For more information, please visit standards.iEEE.org. We hope you'll join us again soon.